Hey everybody, you know what time it is. Welcome back to another episode of The Artist Files. I'm your host, John Marvin Scott, as per usual, and let's just dive right into who I interviewed this week. For episode 7 of The Artist Files, I interviewed probably one of the craziest people I've ever met in my entire life. His name is Jeremy Duty, and for those of you who are from Red Deer in the music scene, you guys are probably familiar with this man's face. He's got the largest beard I've ever seen on a person, and he is one of the most amazing guitar players I've ever met in my entire life. Jeremy is so versatile in what he's able to do. He recently just did a um, a tribute to Joni Mitchell on uh, transcribing all of the piano parts for guitar, He's an amazing classical guitarist, a fantastic rock and blues guitarist. He taught me and introduced me to jazz guitar. Um, He was my first real guitar teacher, Um, probably my mentor, and he's just an amazing, amazing person. I, I love listening to his insight on music and his approach to life. It's so beautiful and so important, and I'm incredibly excited for you guys to finally hear what he has to say. So without further ado, here's Jeremy Duty. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hey, good. I can hear you now. Good. Yeah, finally. Something with the microphone headset or? Uh, yeah, my, my phone's headphone jack is having some kind of software problem where it thinks the headphones are plugged in when they're not. Oh, that's so, super weird. Yeah, it's very strange. Now I'm just on my Bluetooth and it's fine. Okay, great. Well, let's let's dive in. I know you're really busy. You're like the busiest, one of the busiest people I know. So right on. let's dive in. So have you listened to any of the uh, the first couple episodes that I've put out? Uh, I just listened to the one that you did with Ryan. I haven't gotten around to the others yet, but I, I really okay. enjoyed that one. Cool. So you kind of pretty much know a little bit about what, what this is about. And so we're going to basically work the same format and just... Instead of Ryan's life, it'll be yours. Right on. <laughs> cool. So uh, the first question that I have is um, why you started playing music or why you started getting involved in music. So maybe what at a, at a young age sparked that interest for you? Uh, like early on, I guess I've, I always was kind of musical as a kid. I was very, my dad played guitar. Uh, and sang in church and stuff and I was always around him when he was doing that and you know um, my mom tells me stories about when I was three and four years old going up and strumming the guitar while he would play chords Um, I just always loved it I banged on pots and pans I was always uh, always kind of a musical kid I guess Um, and then in grade six you know um, I had a a high school or a, a band program at my school that I was in and I joined the band class because it was a required class in grade six. And I started playing clarinet and I just kind of never looked back from then. I, I took to it so much and I loved learning to read music and play an instrument. I just enjoyed it so much. It, it remained the next seven years until graduation remained my number one interest at school. And then I knew after high school that I wanted to do it professionally. And so I went to university and you know, I just, I, I just kind of never looked back from, from childhood. I knew music was what I wanted to do. Okay, cool. So did you, um, so like you, I guess you grew up in a, in a musical family. So like your, your parents or your dad played music? 
Uh, yeah, he was, I mean, a very amateur musician, but uh, he strummed chords and sang uh, in the church folk group uh, and just a little bit of acoustic guitar around the house. But because it was a regular thing with the church, it was always going on. And so, you know, uh, he would have friends over to rehearse for the following Sunday and stuff. And so there was music in the house. Um, uh, my big brother was in the band program, too, and he played flute. And so, yeah, there was music around the house for sure. Cool. That's that's what I'm finding is a very common thing, you know, like uh, with the artists that I, I, I've i met, you know, it just they've, there's always been some sort of music just in the house, whether it was just everyone who played music or whether their parents, their parents played music or whether there was just like CDs or like records playing at, at some time. I just think that's really cool that there was just always it was one of those things where you kind of just grew up having it around. Totally. I think music is such a natural part of human life that if kids are exposed to it, they take to it. You know, I've never I've never met a kid who wasn't interested in music. You know, when I uh, I went to my my son, who's eight years old, I went to his uh, elementary school a couple of weeks ago to give a career day presentation. Cool. Um, and the kids I mean, I brought my little uh, ukulele and just uh, did a little bit of talk. It was supposed to be a career day on how. Um, how people in various careers use mathematics and uh, numeracy in their careers. Oh, wow. uh, and they were really fascinated to have a musician come in and talk about that because most of the people that came in were engineers and accountants and stuff. Um, and so having me there, it was, I think the kids were, were really excited about it. But the, it's funny, you know, these kids, just every single kid was just drawn in. It was really like eyes forward. They see me strumming a couple of chords on a little ukulele and they just get intensely interested. And I think it, it, it's mainly an exposure thing. If you, if you give kids access to music and access to musical instruments, they will take to it. Totally. That's actually so cool that they had a, a career day specifically on like, like mathematics and then they, and like you roll in and, <laughs> and it, make, make it a really fun experience. It That's was so great. Cool. It was really fun. I think the kids were largely bored by the present because we were presenting in pairs and oh, the yeah. person, yeah, I was, I was there with an accountant and, <laughs> and it was it was night and day between the accountant presentation and the musician presentation for sure. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's so cool. You know, I think that's totally true though with the exposure. Like if you don't, if you don't expose somebody to something, how, how are they going to be interested? And if, if they, if you do expose them, that there's a good chance that, that they can get interested, even if it's not music, you know? Definitely. That's why music in, in schools is so important. Absolutely. So the next question I have for you is what are you currently like what what are you working on right now because I mean you're all over the map but if you uh Oh my god John like, <laughs> yeah, I know it's a hard question it's a hard question specifically for you <laughs> But I uh, you know. I'm working on so much um I have a uh, a jazz trio or quartet I'm, so I've been practicing that a lot and, and polishing up and finishing some of the and uh, even starting one new composition for that. Um, cool. I've got a singer-songwriter solo project that I do all the time, but I'm always writing for that. Uh, I'm playing with uh, two original bands here in Red Deer. Well, three, really. Um, a country band, a singer-songwriter band, and a pop band. And then I have my uh, my main project which is the the cover band the clam daggers uh who ryan was also from um and then i've got various jazz groups uh that i 
play around with. I've got a classical guitar gig on Wednesday that I'm practicing up for. So I'm uh, reviving an hour worth of memorized repertoire to make it ready for the stage. <laughs> a little bit of everything, you know, it never stops. It doesn't stop. That's, that's pretty cool. So let's, uh, let's, let's take it back though, from when like your upbringing in music and kind of what's, I guess, start right when you kind of got into university, because um, I know you, you, like I know, but the people listening don't really know that you, you studied classical music at U of A. I did, or no, yes. But before that, you went to you went to McEwen, didn't you? Yes, actually, my very first year out of high school, I uh, was a saxophone major at U of A, doing classical saxophone with one of the most brilliant professors I've ever had, uh, uh, Dr. William Street, at the University of Alberta, who is absolutely world class uh, saxophone player uh, and wow. musician. Um, and I studied for a year with him and I really loved it. Um, and I, I really thought that that was where I was going to be headed in my life. I was a, a fairly exceptional classical saxophone player and got in the senior saxophone quartet as a first year, which was unheard of. And I had all kinds of good things going on. Um, but the truth was I was just playing my guitar four or five hours a day just for recreation and practicing my saxophone an hour or so a day out of obligation for the school and I was like maybe I'm in the wrong program <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm studying the wrong instrument um, and of course I didn't I didn't really know that much about music education like secondary post-secondary education at the time um, I had never heard of the idea that I could go to college for uh popular style of guitar playing right like uh, I was aware that you could study classical music but I just didn't know um, but of course when I moved to Edmonton and was in a music program I was around people who were in the jazz band there was a joint jazz band between uh, U of A and Grant McEwen at the time and so I was just exposed to people and I was like wait a second these people go to school for jazz and learn about blues and, and rock and pop music at, at college that's amazing I want to do that so I stopped my program after one year uh, in classical saxophone studies, and I sold my saxophone to pay for my first year's tuition at Grant McEwen, and uh, <laughs> I've been a guitarist ever since. Although I've been a, I was a guitarist for a long time at that point, anyway. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So, so then when you when you first went, so you first went into McEwen, right? And then you did pop and jazz, and was and you did at, at the time they would have had that two year diploma. So you did you do the whole diploma or? I didn't quite do the whole diploma. I actually didn't graduate because of an English requirement that I never completed. Right. As, as, uh, but I actually yeah. did a third year in that program. Uh, after doing two years of performance, I did a third year as a composition major. Right. And so w you studied, main is it mainly, was it um, like, quote unquote, like jazz related composition? Or was it more kind of broad, like in that pop, like pop contemporary it world? It was very broad, actually. The, um, uh, my uh, teacher was a great teacher named Gord Nicholson, and he was a jazz musician, but also classically trained. Um, and then we also had a required class for composition majors that was uh, pop songwriting. And so I got great exposure to all kinds of um, composition and songwriting education there. And then we also had an arranging class that was very much more, it was like the jazz theory class for composition majors. It was the jazz theory classes were normally more geared towards improvisation, but the arranging class was much more geared towards obviously arranging and composition. Right. Cool. So do you find, cause I mean, I'm familiar that, that you play, like you play a fair amount of, of pop 
pop repertoire and pop gigs and all that kind of stuff. Oh did yeah, that's my that, main thing. <laughs> yeah, did you find that like doing composition and learning a, a like learning about pop songwriting and contemporary songwriting in in an academic setting? Did you find that that helped your your like your own pop contemporary like work? I did. You know, when I was already a songwriter at that point in my life, I had written probably a dozen songs by the time I was uh, 19 years old when I uh, ended up in that program. Um, And they weren't especially good, but there's still one or two of them that I still play today, actually. (laughs) Um, But they, uh, as a songwriter going into that, it was, it was funny. What I learned the most about from the songwriting class was actually lyrics and lyrical structure and and uh, interesting thematic development in the world of of lyric writing. Um, it's you know, the truth is, pop songwriting is not that complicated a topic from a musical perspective. The 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 harmony and rhythm and 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 uh, formal structure and stuff is not that complex in pop music, right. um, and so. I, I didn't learn that much about that aspect of it. I did learn some good ideas about uh, creating an interesting, memorable melody uh, from that songwriting class. Um, but it was all, it was all stuff I'd already covered in, um, in jazz improv classes. It was very much the same kind of material when you're talking about a melody, you know, a melody's a melody. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I learned a ton about, how important lyrics are to a pop song and, and how they can reflect the same kind of structure and interest and setting up an expectation and then meeting it or surprising it. You know, there's uh, a lot of really interesting things about lyric writing in that class. Oh, cool. That's actually really interesting. And something I've kind of been thinking about is when you have a song with lyrics, could, could you take the lyrics away from that song and have the music still portray the same emotion and the same, you know, do you, do you understand kind of what I'm saying? Like, yeah, definitely. I, I've, well, I've been thinking about that a lot, and it's kind of interesting that that you just talked about lyrics specifically having the same contour as as music and and setting up the expectation lyrically. I guess. Yeah, definitely. It's the interaction between lyric and melody and form and harmony in pop songwriting is a is a fascinating topic. To me, the best pop songs the most successful pop songs from a songwriting perspective are the ones where you can play an instrumental version of them and they essentially feel the same or, or get across the same kind of idea. Um, Now as a, like, that's one of the things that I do a lot of, you know, like restaurant gigs and stuff like that with solo guitar and I use my looper pedal and I'll, I'll lay down an accompaniment and then I'll play a pop song and it's just the melody played on the guitar. Um, and I love the, the idea of kind of vocal style imitation on, on the lead guitar. Um, and so I loved doing, you know, Beatles songs and Van Morrison songs and, and things like that on the guitar. Um, but yeah, there's certain songs where the lyrical content doesn't match that feeling. And then when you play them, they feel completely different. Whereas, yeah. you know, on the other hand, a song like Hey Jude... There's, there's no difference in the world between an instrumental version and, and a full lyrical version of Hey Jude because the lyrics and the melody kind of work together in this incredibly perfect way. And when you just play that melody, you can feel everything that the lyrics make you feel in that song. Absolutely. That's a, that's a pretty cool way of thinking about it. I, 
yeah, that's that almost answers the question I've been I've been thinking about. You know, it's like it's not that you should be able to maybe take them apart and have them have the exact same um, emotional context or the emotional feeling, but that they they work they are intertwined and the greatest songs really should have a, a very high level of, of musical ex, ex feeling and of, and then the lyrics can also add, just add to that. Definitely. There's also really a really cool. interesting, <clears throat> there's like a really interesting ironic level on which they can be mismatched too. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a few classic examples of really happy up-tempo songs that have very dark lyrics. Um, and so those they don't fit into that what I just described, where if you just played, I'm, I'm struggling to think of an example off the top of my head right now, but if you just yeah. played a song like that instrumentally, it might give you the kind of uh, ironic, bumpy, happy feeling that the music is intended to portray, but then it will totally lack the, uh, the contrasting feeling that the lyrics brought. Now, a song like that, that's like, uh, that's like meta songwriting, right? You're, using a, <laughs> you're yeah. using a contrast between the melody and the lyrics to create another level of expression. Uh, but, you know, the vast majority of pop songs and all kinds of songs, the, the feeling is going to match between those two things. Absolutely, yeah. Let's, let's going to dive into this. My, I got another question here for you. Sure, man. pretty cool. Um, it's actually going to be pretty interesting interesting for you is cool because growing up and in the kind of music that was around there plus going to school for for classical music getting involved in that plus jazz music plus new music we have to kind of talk about your influences as an artist oh my god i know and it's so hard to nail down and i don't i i, I know we can't nail them all but you know if there's a, a couple that you could sort of you can sort of bring in from the whole world of your influences that that really do like stick with you that'd be awesome man uh because i do so many different things like my musical life is very very broad spectrum yeah. um my influences are are very broad like that i could talk all day about my jazz influences you know <laughs> yeah exactly um, now in terms of so okay uh from a guitar playing perspective, um, even just in that, I have uh, blues rock influences that are definitely Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, Jimi Hendrix, and Eric Clapton. Those are the guys that inspired me early on and, and that I really learned to play like as a teenager and tried to imitate and, and learned a lot from them. Cool. Uh, from a songwriting perspective, it's definitely uh, Paul Simon, uh, Joni Mitchell, um, those are probably two of the biggest ones. Also, Jimi Hendrix and also Bob Dylan. And, you know, there's, uh, um, again, dozens like uh, yeah. the Beatles and Annie DeFranco. And there's so many great songwriting artists out there that have had an impact on me as a songwriter. And, and my songwriting is fairly broad spectrum, too, because of it. Absolutely. Um, you know, as a classical musician, I've been incredibly inspired by Glenn Gould. Um, by a classical guitarist named Paul Galbraith, uh, who's in just an amazing technical and musical genius from Scotland. Um, uh, as a composer of classical music, I've been really influenced by Frederick Chopin. I've been really influenced by John Cage. I've been really influenced by Philip Glass and Stephen Reich. Um, there's, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Uh, 
I, like I said, I could, I could list influences all day, but those are probably some of the big ones. Cool. You know, and I think that's so important though, is that there is so many in so many influences. Cause I think if, if you get s- stuck to one area of music or one, one specific genre or one specific, you know, timeline in music, I, I think it's almost like it creates a narrow minded musician, if that makes sense. And I, I think like taking things from all different aspects and, and then it kind of forces you or allows you to to take those influences and and to be unique and individual and to express yourself because you have all these all these influences and all these different tools that you can use to make your own sound for sure here's the thing too i don't know how to make a living as a musician as a specialist the only way that i know how to build a music career is is through versatility and non-specialization you know um i do i do gigs all the time you know like several shows a week usually um but it's in it's with everything it's uh it's some of them are acoustic guitar backing up a female singer songwriter and then some of them are jazz trio gigs and some of them are solo electric guitar with looper gigs and some of them are blues quartet gigs and some of them are classical guitar gigs like i have on sun uh on wednesday in edmonton and some of them are this and that you know um and that's that's the only way that i know how to do it i uh there's no single part of my musical expression that has ever been enough to to kind of support my lifestyle or my family or anything like that but when you add them all together it's like the concept of multiple streams of income uh in a business perspective um a lot of uh like uh financial advisors and stuff advise this idea of having multiple streams of income uh, so that you'll have a small business that you own and then a network marketing business that you own and then a, a possibly a corporate income or something like that. And you have all these different ways of making money and then investments and, and all these different places that money is coming in from. Right. That, that's exactly how I feel about my musical career is that it's a, it's a multiple streams of income situation and, and a, there's no, there's no single part of it that I can't afford to lose. You know, even if the clam daggers broke up, I'd still have probably 75% of my music work. Absolutely. Would still be intact, even in the absence of my number one project. Totally. I think that's actually so important too, is, is in regards to, um, to sustainability as an artist, you know, and being able to just like to be able to afford to live because those stereotypes and, and the way that the, um, how do I explain? Not m- market, but like just the the mu- the music industry, like just the the way that it's laid out, and that you either like it's it is somewhat hard to start doing it full time and to, to even tough, do it full time, right? And it like took me ten years. It, yeah, uh, it's funny, you know, when I was at Grant McEwen, the best piece of advice I got at Grant McEwen uh, was from a guest speaker that they had come in. Um, and she was just a, a, a professional working musician who was touring around with a band. And, and what she said really, really stuck with me um, through through my 20s, after I graduated <clears throat> or uh, quote unquote graduated <laughs> <laughs> um, from from the, the Grant McEwen program. The thing that really kept me going was this single piece of advice. It was that if you if you stick it out for 10 years, things will start to happen. It was just that simple. She just laid it out. She's like, it's not going to work at first, 
but yeah. you have you have to stick to it. And and you know the the road to a music career is littered with people who give it up after a couple of years because they can't make it work. Um, but if you if you just keep plugging, keep building connections, keep doing gigs, keep practicing, keep learning to do new things, keep going. Uh, then the career is waiting for you at the end, and it it, it can be a really fruitful co- career. You know, Absolutely. I, I haven't had any commercial success of any kind as a musician, and yet I still make a, a fairly comfortable living, and I support a family, and you know, it's uh, on on a totally localized small town. You know, like Red Deer's got a hundred thousand people, and I I make I make a decent living as a as a solely as a professional musician in this town. Absolutely. And I think that's actually a really good piece of of advice for anybody listening is that you you don't, um, that you're right, just stick it out, like just keep going. Because even for myself, like moving out, my like really my first year moving out to Vancouver into a huge scene where it's, I guess littered might be a, a, sound like a bad word, but it is like littered full of, full of musicians. There's there's tons of people here who are doing, trying to do exactly what I'm trying to do, right? And it's, um, even like the idea of like, I'm like, well, I want all these gigs and I want to do all this right now, but it's like, I've only been out here for a year and I've only, this is only my, I'll be going into my fourth year of, of music education. You know, I'm, I'm not, I haven't been doing it for that long. Yeah. Right. So it's um getting used to the idea that you just need to kind of, this is what you do and I'm, that's what you want to do. So you just kind of keep working at it. And I think you're right. Like that's a great piece of advice that, she gave you you know it, it stuck with me and it got me it got me through my 20s yeah uh, that that was what got me through my 20s without me going to work in the oil field or whatever it might have turned out to be right yeah it was just just keep your head down and keep going and and after after a certain amount of time it will work yeah that's that's i'm really glad you told me that you told me that piece of advice now i can kind of use that to get through my 20s right on man (laughs) so um in regards to that i mean um that's actually kind of a good segue um i have a question here about like like, obstacles with being a creative person and being an artist and all that kind of stuff whether those obstacles are individual obstacles or societal and stuff so i mean have you faced any big obstacles or how, how did you kind of approach them the biggest obstacle is the endurance that's required you know you have to be you have to um i can't remember who the quote is from but one of my favorite quotes is that genius is just the capacity to take trouble uh the the harder you're willing to work at something and the more you're willing to endure in the pursuit of that thing the more uh the more of a genius you will be at that thing. And so if you, if you put that in terms of music, like I'll just, I'll change genius to professionalism. Musical professionalism is just the ability to take trouble for a few years while you get through the hard part. Um, And it takes, it, it really takes a massive amount of endurance to, to, work so hard at something that doesn't seem to be paying off for such a long time and and likely doing other things you know um it took me a few years in my early 20s to realize 
that pushing a lawnmower or shoveling snow or making phone calls for Sprint was not the way to pursue my music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you have to have music, you have to have money coming in from somewhere. You have to make a living. You have to support yourself. Um, and during that time, it was incredibly hard for me to, uh, to, to like find the energy to practice, for example. Yeah. Or to be creative. Like I actually wrote several of my best songs in my early twenties while riding around on a lawn mowing tractor for a large uh, landscaping company. And I would just, I would be riding this tractor, cutting the grass at a, at a Costco location and, 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 and writing songs in my head. Um, and some of my best work came out of that, but, but, you know, even that it takes, it takes a certain amount of uh, concentration and focus to be able to sit on this noisy, bouncy machine uh, and, and concentrate enough to do creative work inside your head. Um, you need to have your money coming in from somewhere. And so one of the big obstacles that uh, artists of all kinds face is that while they're developing as an artist, uh, the other work that they have to do to support themselves is an obstacle to their creative work. I would totally agree. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a great answer. <laughs> you know, like, well, thank you. Just, um, <laughs> that's a know, great question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like just the, the idea that, you know, you have people, you know, money exists. It basically is like that you still have to be able to, it, it exists. It's not, it's not going anywhere. You know, it, it's how we run our whole society. So you ha you have to have that in order to live. Right. I think that that's, sort of on the same on the same track you know like you have like you, like you said you have to have your financial support coming from somewhere and if it's not coming from your art right now it's it's you got to make it work right and that that need to make it work is one of the biggest obstacles to getting to the point where you no longer have that need it's exactly. a it's a real catch-22 you know there's a there's a, a dilemma at the core of the artist's life and it's it, it can't be avoided it has to be surmounted you have to get past the hard part in order to get to the good part. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it, it does almost seem like a, um, not to say like a, like a cheesy quote that you hear all the time, you know, where it's like, but some of those like quotes that are very cheesy and people, you hear them consistently and you see them on Facebook in those like backgrounds of like a mountain. And then it's like this quote and, you know, all this stuff, but it's, it's a quote that you hear all the time. And sometimes it's almost like you've heard something similar to it so often that you've sort of, every time you hear it, you kind of push it under, you're like, Oh yeah, that I've heard that a million times. But it, I think taking that, that those quotes that are cheesy, they obviously exist for a reason. So why not actually like think about them and, and wonder right. why they actually <clears throat> exist and how you can apply that to your life. Right. I mean, almost every cliche is true on some level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, they wouldn't be, a, it wouldn't be a cliche if it didn't, you know, if, if exactly, <laughs> exactly. That, 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 that's why it's a cliche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. So in another route, um, you're, you're giving me some really good segues, which is Great. nice, <laughs> but, um, how, how do you stay creative if you're in some sort of a creative rut or you're not really, you know, like finding the energy to do it or, um, something like that like how do you what's a what's a way for you to stay creative when you're not feeling that creative well i mean doing doing creative work even when you don't feel inspired is really important 
um, the skills, the skills that are needed for a creative career are actually better developed in the absence of inspiration. Hmm. Um, if, if you're feeling creative, you're going to go downstairs and pick up your guitar and write something beautiful just because of the, the kind of vibe in your body, the energy you're feeling, the mental state you're in, you get in a state of flow or something and you just, it's like getting lucky, you know? Yeah. Um, learning to do that work in the absence of that state or learning to generate that state on demand <clears throat> is one of the fundamental skills of having an artistic career. You know, you, you have to be able to, to make creativity happen. You have to be able to make it happen. Um, and so l you're not learning to do that if you wait for it to happen. Does that make that, sense? Yeah, absolutely. That totally makes sense. And that's actually extremely applicable to my life right now, which is pretty cool, just in the sense of, you know, going to school and um, still recovering from that um, repetitive stress injury from playing guitar and, you know, not always having the, uh, the drive to, to play music or even in my specific case, I guess, I guess a good way to put it would be feeling in limbo, like not sure if I want to do jazz related music or what kind of music I'm, I'm like, not sure where my own individual voice lays or where it is. Right. Right. But I think that's a really good piece of advice is just like be a, like, develop the skill to to be able to to be creative right and that's and that on its own aside from musical skill i guess is a skill on its own is just developing that skill to to like to be musical at a certain period of time or a certain point of time definitely and you know uh one of the ways that i learned that kind of thinking not specifically about creativity but is is from uh meditation practice and mindfulness um, right. In that practice, you have to be able to, uh, you have to be able to generate a mindful state, regardless of your environment, regardless of your emotional state, regardless of your circumstance. Um, and that's exactly where I learned this, this concept about creativity, that you have to be able to generate a creative state, regardless of whether or not you're quote unquote, feeling creative. <laughs> totally. That's, that's, that's actually, it's, that's really important. I think that's such a cool thing. And I had, I had never really thought about that because I've also done some of that me of meditation and mindfulness practice as well. And I mean, now that you mentioned the relationship between like, like the similarity, I think that's, I think that's actually going to really help my musical journey, which is really cool. Good, man. Um, hmm, we already covered this. What, here's a good one. Um, so, it, it does suck to say, but um, the music industry is full of stereotypes and people getting backlash and all this sort of stuff. Um, have you ever faced any sort of like stereotypes within the music industry? How do you mean? Um, I it just it's, it's a, I have it laid out on my notes as a very general question. But I mean, um, the first stereotype that comes into your my head is the one where you're just starting out and you say, yeah, I want to be a musician. And then everyone's like, oh, yeah, cool. Or I am a musician. And then they go, oh, yeah, well, but, but what do you do for work? Right, right. You know, like stuff. But that's the first one that pops into my head. But, so um, 
So let me let me just clarify your question. Do you mean have I faced stereotypes as a musician, or do you mean have I faced stereotypes in the music community? Ooh. And that's a great specification, actually. I mean, need to write that down. But I believe the first one is, I mean, actually both, if, if you have any examples of both that, that you want to share. But in, in my head, mainly the first one, like as a musician, would be where I immediately go to when I think of that. But you could, you could definitely talk about both. Sure. Uh, well, so as a musician, um, I think I've actually fared pretty well. Um, and and that a lot of that is just the privileged position of being a, a white male person in this uh, world. I have a kind of natural inborn advantage that is not due to any merit on my part. It's just there. Um, but people uh, people give me a kind of default amount of freedom and acceptance because of that. And so I would say that there are definitely people who face a lot more stereotypical trouble in their lives uh, than I do by a long shot. And um, I think stereotypes about musicians are, you know, a very mild kind of stereotyping. And, and I'm, uh, I'm sure I've been joked about or anything or, or comments have been made, but it's never, I don't, you know, it's not, it's not something that's going to get to me or cause me any trouble or disturbance. Right. Um, now I will say inside the music community, I have certainly faced some really interesting stereotypes. Uh, so when I went to uh, classical music school after, so after my first year, when I stopped pursuing classical music and then I went and did jazz school and then I took a couple of years off. After that, I went back and did a whole bachelor's degree and most of a master's degree in classical guitar. Right. Um, and in those so, geez, six years that I was at U of A <laughs> as a classical guitar student, um, I faced a lot of stereotypes uh, because I was a rock musician and a jazz musician, um, because I made my living, because I put myself through school playing and teaching uh, popular styles. Right. Um, I, faced, I faced a lot of quite large stereotypes from the classical music uh, students and faculty. Um, there was a lot of dismissive, uh, dismissive talk when I talked about my, uh, my gigs or my career. Um, when I asked questions that, because as that kind of student, I was able to see through certain problems that were, that were big conundrums in like say a music theory class. And right. they're, we're talking about uh, post-romantic harmony. And I see a, a strong and clear connection to a concept that is just like an ABC concept for jazz musicians, but that is very strange to second and third year classical musicians, right? Right. And so I, and I'll, and I'll see that and I'll just make a comment that's, that's very flip about it. And then, you know, that comment will be kind of automatically dismissed or rejected rather than being taken into account by classmates or by the faculty um, because it's quote unquote a jazz concept or a, a jazz or concept it's not it's not legit <laughs> oh it's so weird yeah it, it was really weird and the fact is there was a lot of that um, there was a lot it was very difficult to get uh, my colleagues to come out and and hear my shows um, it was very difficult to 
find people who took what I was doing seriously, unless what I was doing was classical music. Right. Um, and I mean, in a, in a classical music school situation, that's, that's not an uncommon problem. Uh, those people tend to be very, very focused on what they're doing and on the importance and legitimacy of what they're doing. Um, but that's that's a, another topic. I might be getting a little bit far afield here, but yeah. <laughs> those those are probably the main the main stereotypes that I've faced in my life as a musician. Um, there's a little bit of it everywhere, you know. Um, I look I look a certain way. I have a shaved head and a long beard, and so uh, sometimes when people see me at first. They assume certain things about me being, say, a metalhead or something like that. Um, and so, you know, there's little stereotypical problems like that. You go up on stage and people don't know what to expect. And then you play an instrumental version of Have I Told You Lately That I Love You? And people get a weird reaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, the, you know, the fact is it's, uh, it, the stereotypes have not been a big problem in my life, I would say, in general. Cool. Okay. That's, that's great answers. And I do love that you actually you've changed my notes for my questions in regards to like um, as a musician and in the music industry, because it technically, it is different. It's totally different as in. They are two separate questions for sure. <laughs> absolutely. That's, that's so great. Um, you know, we, I, I do have a question here about sustainability, but we kind of already talked about that in regards to like being able to financially support yourself and in regards to being creative and, and having to get that from other places. Um, We've well, I'm happy to answer it in a more pointed way if you want, if you have a specific question. No, it's just a very general thing again. Um, I'm, we've pretty much covered all the questions I have, which is pretty cool. Um, I do have one last one, though, and it's the main one. It's the, the one that's a little more abstract. Um, sure. All that kind of stuff. But um, you know, you've been doing this for a, a fair amount of time and doing it for a fair amount of time professionally and full-time, which is great. And even in regards to teaching and performing and writing and all the education that, that you have and all, you know, I think that's just amazing. But, um, you know, why do you continue to, to create? And, like, why do you continue to do the art that you do and all that kind of stuff? Why do I continue to create? Um, I don't have any choice, John. <laughs> I really don't. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, I believe that the, the creative personality to, uh, Christopher Hitchens, uh, is, uh, an intellectual hero of mine. And I read, uh, in one of his books when he taught, uh, classes on writing, he often got this question is a very, very common question is how, when did you know you were going to be a writer or how, uh, why did you become a writer or, or how do I know if I'm supposed to be a writer? These are like super common questions that, that writers get asked by writing students. Right. Um, and he always, he always gave the same answers. If, if, if you have any choice, then the answer is no. If you think, if you think, uh, should I be a writer or should I be X? then the answer is BX, definitely. <laughs> right. If, if, if the only option that presents itself to you is to be a writer, then you are a writer. Um, and I feel like that about all the arts, essentially, you know, people who, people who are, people who do this successfully always know that it's what they need to do. They, um, it's not, it's not a kind of, wishy-washy 
maybe I'm in or maybe I'm out thing. That's, that's how hobbyists feel about it, right? And there's nothing wrong with being an artistic hobbyist. It's wonderful. And I think everyone should have an artistic hobby. I really believe every human being should have a creative hobby of some kind. But to be a creative professional, um, you, you have to, I mean, you don't, you don't choose that. It's a, it's a vocation. You don't, you don't necessarily decide that that's what you're going to do. It's like your, your mind only presents you with one path forward. I totally, that totally makes sense to me. You know, I, yeah. The, the, the reason that I make, that I continue to do creative work is that I have it, I have it to do. I, I have it in me to do. I have to get it out. I have to, um, and even if, even if I didn't make my living this way, I would still be doing the creative side. I, you know, I kind of think of a music career as having a creative side and a more practical side. Like a, a, there's a business side to it. There's a, a performance side to it. There's a technical, almost tradesman-like side to it. Um, and then there's a, a, a creative artistic side to it. Um, and the creative work for me is not, really a choice that's something that it just it just is there it continually happens it, you know when i'm driving in my car i'm i'm humming a new melody i'm i'm making something up i'm it, it never stops and uh i don't have a lot of choice in the matter at this point in my life it's just it's never gonna stop my brain totally. makes music <laughs> yeah <laughs> um Absolutely. now i do have a choice about some of the other uh aspects like the the more like I don't have to play every gig I play. It's not like I'm creatively driven to make people dance at weddings. Yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not even creatively driven to sing my own songs at uh coffee shops or or, <laughs> or restaurants. Right. Um but I am I am creatively driven to make music and that will never I I I will never stop doing that. Doing it professionally is is more like a pleasure and um i feel like i won the lottery like why would i ever stop i i finance my life by playing guitar and i don't know anybody who hates their job less than i do <laughs> anybody yeah. so yeah. why why would i ever stop absolutely absolutely that's such a, a brilliant way to answer that too it's just like it's like almost like like I mean, I don't think, I don't know if this is the case. You know, I don't think it is, but like, it's like you got lucky, you know, it's like, I'm so the much luck involved, to, John. Yeah. I have been extremely <laughs> lucky and I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally aware of the chance events, you know, like my teaching gig at RDC where I met you as, as your teacher, that, yeah. that gig fell into my lap out of the sky uh, <laughs> two weeks after my first child was born. That's crazy. Um, I, I've been extremely lucky and there, there certainly is always luck involved, but that's, uh, I'll go back to that 10 years thing. Uh, the sticking to it to 10 years and something is bound to happen. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like, so the, that is an expression of the fact that there's a lot of luck involved. Yeah. Um, if you stick to it for two years, there's not a very good chance that any of your numbers will come up 
in that time. And then you quit after two years and then there's zero chance and it won't matter if your numbers would have come up or not because you're out. Absolutely. Right. But the longer, the longer that you stay at the table, the more, the more, it just increases the odds every, every year that you stay in a music career increases the odds of you being able to support yourself at it. Um, and there is, there's always luck involved. There's luck involved in becoming a major recording artist. There's luck involved in becoming a small town performing working musician. There's even luck involved in getting a teaching position at a local music store. You know, there's luck involved in everything in life. Um, but when you, when you stay in the game and keep, keep working, uh, you know, people say God helps those who helps them, who help themselves. Um, I just think that's a reason not to believe in God. It's just chance. You know, if you help yourself, (laughs) if you help yourself, you keep, you keep yourself in the game and you keep increasing the chance of something good happening to you. Totally. If you keep working, if you help yourself, then the world eventually, because the world is throwing you pluses and minuses at random, essentially. The world, the world is throwing obstacles in your way and, throwing help your way and giving you upgrades and, and, and breaking your leg. And, you know, it's, it's, it's back and forth and there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to it. But if you do, if you do consciously chosen work that improves your abilities and if you make um, interpersonal decisions that improve your networking and improve your reputation, um, you, you have to maintain a reputation for professionalism and reliability and likability. And uh, you have to be fun to be around you. And people have to like working with you. People have to know that you're the guy that's going to come through for them when they call you. Um, and so it takes time to develop that. And you make these choices all the time. And yeah, bad things are going to keep happening, but good things will happen too. And you add up the good ones and you let the bad ones wash off your back and, uh, eventually things work out (laughs) absolutely that's a great way to to go about it and even a great way to live in general this is like outside of being being a musician outside of being an artist outside of being anything like that just a good way to live you know like things that are deemed good and bad happen to you and just sort them accordingly (laughs) you you know One one of my favorite memes that i've ever seen is a venn diagram of things that make me a better musician and things that make me a better person. And almost everything is in both circles. Yeah. You know, the only thing, the only thing about making me a better musician that isn't in the also makes me a better person circle is practicing scales. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's the only one. Everything else about becoming a better musician is, is just generally good advice about being a good person and, and, everything that you can do to improve yourself as a person will help you improve as a musician. Absolutely. I totally agree. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I think that's answered pretty much all my questions and if not more and more advice for myself. So thank you so much for, for doing this with me and for coming on to my podcast. It's going to be really, really fun. And I'm going to definitely listen back on this a couple of times and take take down some notes. I was, uh, I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. We'll we'll definitely have to talk soon. Sounds good. Great. Take care. Have me back on anytime. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Ciao, man. All right. See you.
Well, there you have it. My mentor and one of the craziest people I've ever met in my entire life. Jeremy is just so smart, so intelligent, and so true, so wholesome. He's able to really explain himself in a very specific way, and he's able to just do so many things. He's so open-minded. He's so musically smart, and he's just a brilliant, brilliant person. So I am just super thankful that he was willing to share what he did on this podcast so that all of you can soak it up and take all all of that information in just like I did. It is time to give shoutouts. So, shoutout number one goes to my mentor and amazing person of all time, Jeremy Duty. You're just so smart and so knowledgeable. So thank you for doing this, this podcast with me. It's absolutely brilliant. Second shoutout goes to my core patrons on Patreon. Thank you so much. You guys support me in every single way and all the art that I continue to do. And I couldn't do it without you guys. So thank you so much. Another shout out I wanted to do, which is the third one, is going to be a shout out to everybody who's been on this podcast so far. And if you're still listening, that's, that's brilliant. And I love the fact that you guys have been on this podcast and you guys have shared your stories. So thank you guys so much for doing that. You guys all know where this podcast can be found. It can be found on exclusively on Anchor.fm. That's where we host the podcast. Um, on the big three, as I like to call them. So Apple, uh, Spotify, and Google Play. So you can hit us up on there. Um, if you're willing to, shoot us a rating. Hopefully five stars. But, you know, ratings really do count in podcast world. And um, it'd really mean a lot to me if I could see some, some ratings go up. So thank you guys so much for that. And um, you can see this on a ton of third-party podcast uh, streaming softwares and platforms. All those are available to see on um, the Anchor.fm page for the artist files. And last but not least, thank you to everybody who is listening to this podcast. This is a really fun thing for me to do. It really allows me to just take a break from playing music and to just talk about it with some really awesome people. And... um, I really hope to continue to do this for a long time, and um, your support means everything to me. So thank you so much for listening, and tune in in a couple weeks for the next episode of The Artist Files. Take care.